0: Uh, And we have entitled this series, even though it's our fall series, it's an acronym here. We've entitled it SPRING. And each letter stands for something in this, this series that we're talking about, sort of things that we want to emphasize in regard to ministry. So we've talked about the S in SPRING, and that's service, how really sort of moving forward as a church, thinking of ministry, we really need to emphasize service. We need more people involved, plugging in, volunteering. We talked about that our first week. Uh, Then our second week, we we tackled the P in spring, and that's personal evangelism. And so we talked about how Really, we need to prioritize that. We want to reach the world for for Christ, for his kingdom, and we need to be faithful in doing personal evangelism that, that, as we talked about more and more, sort of people aren't just sort of coming to us. You know, that was sort of the mindset of generations gone by. If we just sort of have our church here and have our services, people will come and, and you know, the pastor will share the gospel and, and they'll give their lives to the Lord. And, and again, we can still do that and should still invite people and preach the gospel and so forth. But but more and more, they're sort of not coming, and we need to go to them on their territory where they are, the, the world around us, you know, in the workplace, in our neighborhoods, et cetera, and just faithfully share the gospel with them. So we talked about that last week. That was our, our second week in this series. And now we're at the third week. We're at the R. And so what is this? What is the R in spring that sort of we really want to prioritize, emphasize when it comes to ministry at New Hope Chapel for sort of the years to come? And the R is having a relational focus. So relationships, relational focus. uh, That as we do ministry, we, we really want to do it in a relational way. If we sort of think of... Kind of the American church, we're going to take a look at scripture and say, you know, what was the church like in the New Testament? Right in the beginning in Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2, we're going to go there and sort of see how everything was highly relational. Uh, we'll look at Jesus's example as well in the gospel of Matthew in regard to ministry and how he did ministry. But if we sort of think of, of the American church today, the reality is generally speaking, I think New Hope Chapel does a lot better than the average American church. I think we're, we're, we're pretty good in regard to relationships. Uh, by an American standard. But for your average American church, things are, are really not relationship-based in regard to ministry. In fact, much of sort of the American church and the way we do things is very much sort of like programmatic. It, it's programs, it's events. Not that you can't have a program or event and still do it in sort of a relational way, But I'd say generally the way church is sort of done is in more of an impersonal, not emphasizing relationships, just sort of it's a program, show up, you do it. You come on Sunday. You can easily think of so many churches. You show up on Sunday morning. You don't even have to say hi to anyone. You just sort of walk in, sit down, hear the service. Right after it's over, you head on out all week long. Maybe you don't engage in a small group or have anything to do with other believers. And then you just sort of come back the next Sunday. And again, this sort of no relationships, no interaction uh, and I think oftentimes that's how the American church can can operate. I think that's sort of a reality, and that sort of flows out of our American culture. We just generally speaking, not just within the church, but sort of the U.S. or just sort of the Western world. We're very much like independent. There's not a lot of community. You go to other parts of the world, and like is huge, and everyone in the town or the village, they all know one another. Extended family, too. It's like you just live life together day in, day out. Here in the U.S., it's like Society is very much fragmented and fractured. There's not a lot of community, even down to sort of the basic, like, your, your immediate family. Oftentimes, there's not a lot of engagement and so forth in life or deep relationships. And so just culturally, we've sort of gotten away from community and relationships. I think we bring that into the church. And often we do things in sort of that impersonal, not a relationship-focused kind of way and just sort of programize things. Some of that's because of the culture. I think some of it's also because it's just easier to do. Investing in relationships, that that takes time and energy, and it's easier just to sort of put on a program and do a program. And and I think people often are more willing to show up to a program because, you know, we live in a culture that's not so personal, and so people show up to things that are more impersonal. So I think that's sort of how the church has become that way, very programmatic, not so relational uh, in the way they do things. But as we're going to see as we look at Scripture... Right, The programmatic, impersonal way of doing things for church, that was not always the case, but rather the the biblical example for sort of church life and how to do ministry is quite different, and it's highly, heavily relational. And we we see this in Acts chapter 2. We're going to turn there now, so you can flip open your Bibles. Maybe you're already there. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and I'm going to read this for us here, and and I'll sort of pause at various points and kind of pick it apart, and there's a lot going on here. I'm going to emphasize particularly that which relates to relationships and sort of living in community rather than emphasizing every element of what's going on here, but let me read it for us. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, it says, "...they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching." I just want to pause there and say, like, who are they? You know, they devoted themselves. I don't want to take this out of context and just sort of start teaching. I want us to understand who who would they be here? Well, this is sort of like right after Pentecost, and as you may remember, Peter sort of got up and just started preaching at Pentecost uh, all about Christ and what he'd done, and there are a great many people there, sort of large crowd that had gathered around, uh, and, and Peter's preaching to them, and, and many are like, you know, they're won over by, by what Peter's preaching on, and sort of like, yeah, we want to give our lives to the Lord, etc., and many come to faith in Christ. In fact, it says that 3,000 Uh, were added to to the number of the body of believers. 3,000 people gave their lives to the Lord, turned to saving faith in Christ. And so when it says they devoted themselves, there's sort of a special emphasis on, like, hey, those 3,000 who just committed their lives to the Lord, they did this. But then I'd say that this also in view is like they and along with all who were already believers and followers of Christ as well. So it is the whole church, but with sort of a special emphasis on also, particularly focusing on those new converts as well. But it incorporates the whole body of believers there as well, uh, at that first church there right in Jerusalem. So it says, "...they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching... And to fellowship, and I want to pause there, right? This is something they devoted themselves to, to to fellowshipping with one another, to being in community, right? They recognize, hey, we're spiritual family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we ought to live like a spiritual family, engage in life together, be a community, engage in fellowship with one another. And so that was a priority, right? Relationships were important. They didn't just do things in kind of an impersonal way, not engaging with one another. No, fellowship was a priority. They had a relational focus to what they did. Relationships, community mattered, and they were devoted to it. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And I want to pause here and talk about the breaking of bread. And what's in view here is sort of a daily evening meal. So they would get together. And this wasn't like just each individual family like separately, your immediate family, nuclear family, like in your home, privately, just you. The view is sort of like brothers and sisters in Christ gathering together in homes uh, and eating a meal together, dinner together. Again, sort of fellowshipping, relationships, doing it together. They're not sort of like isolated on their own little islands doing their own thing. But fellowshipping with one another, spending time right? There's a relational focus we see here as they're eating a meal together. And then as they ate that meal together, part of what's in view with breaking of of bread is also celebrating the Lord's Supper. The early church there did it daily uh, as they had their meal together that they shared. So again, we continue to see uh, the relational focus here. They're, They're doing life together every evening. They're gathering together, brothers and sisters in Christ, spending time together, sharing a meal, just communing with one another. We see the prioritization of relationships there. It goes on, verse 43, Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, right? So they're just stated outright, all the believers were together. Everything they did, this is sort of the sense that you get, everything they did, they did together. They did in community. They understood, again, they're, they're, they're a spiritual family. They're to live life together. They're to fellowship together. Relationships mattered, and they prioritized them. They did everything together. So all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And I'd say that's just even sort of like a natural outflow of of prioritizing relationships and Recognizing, hey, we're a spiritual family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ, right? We're, we're part of the same spiritual family. If you have deep relationships, you understand that spiritual familial bond. Well, then, then when you see your brother, truly a brother in Christ, who has a need, well, then you say, hey, what's mine is yours. You have a need, I'll sell a possession, I'll give it to you, right? What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. That just sort of flowed out of that. That we're a spiritual family mindset, living life together, deep relationships that are prioritized. They sort of shared things, had things in common. What's mine is yours. So, verse 46 then it goes on. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, right? Again, we see them doing things together. So, each and every day they went up to the temple to worship, but they didn't do it alone. It wasn't like, hey, I'll go up at some time on my own and you go up sometime on your own. And, and you know, that's just the way they did things. No, it was, we do this together. Again, in community prioritizing relationships, they lived life together, and they worshiped together, not just once a week, but day after day after day, daily, they gathered together at the temple to worship. So every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad. In sincere hearts. Again, ate together. And again, we talked about this breaking bread, but every evening, gathering together, spending time together in community, we see sort of this deep communion and, and fellowship of, of the body of believers there, where just every day they're together, sharing a meal, celebrating the Lord's Supper, doing it together as spiritual family brothers and sisters in Christ. So they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Right? So the picture here, it's not like it's hard to find. It's not like it's somehow just like hidden in one little place in the text here. It's just sort of like all throughout, you get the sense. It's like Everything they do, they're doing in community. It's not like, you know, the American church, they were, hey, we have a program here or there, and maybe you show up, but it's impersonal, that sort of a thing. It's just everything they did, they did as spiritual family, deeply bound together as brothers and sisters in Christ, engaging in deep relationships, deeply fellowshipping and communing with one another. It was sort of like relationships were just sort of foundational and a part of everything that they did. There was a relational focus to everything, and, and you just see that in, in all that they did. And again, if I just sort of compare that to, you know, like, what does it look like today? We already talked about that, but I'd say the American church is sort of like the polar opposite. It's not to say that there aren't relationships between Christians and so forth. There, there are, but I'd say, you know, you'd be hard-pressed to find an American church that you would look at and say, boy, that that sounds like an Acts chapter two kind of church. You'd look at an American church and say like, man, it sounds kind of different. Like if I were to sort of do the same thing that Acts two here is doing, and it's like describing the church, if I did that for like the American church today, I'm not saying New Hope Chapel specifically. I think we're better uh, than the average American church. But but if I did this for the average American church, it would sort of go a little bit more like this. You know, On Sundays once a week, They gathered together and even then sort of like not all of them, like half of them gathered together uh, and worshiped the Lord. Then afterwards, some like left right away, but there were some who hung around for like, you know, 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes uh, and just sort of chit chatted and spent some time together fellowshipping. But then they went home you know, a huge percentage of those people like never saw one another or engaged with one another, cu- talked to one another throughout the rest of the week. But, you know, there were some of them who then once during that week, they gathered together to study the Bible a bit and, and spend some time fellowshipping. And then, you know, next Sunday, the, a week later, you know, they they did it all over again for another week. That would be an accurate description of sort of most American churches, most American Christians. And it's like, That sounds nothing like the example we have here in in the early church, right? Uh, Our way of doing things has become so impersonal. Again, there are exceptions to that. I'm not saying it's every American church or every Christian. There are some who are deeply engaged in relationships with others, right, and to varying degrees. But in a sort of generalized way, the American church looks very much like the polar opposite, not very relational. Uh, just sort of show up to an event. You show up. You don't interact with others. Then you go home and, and sort of go back to the rest of your life. And I want to say we need to sort of get back to the biblical model of what what should the church look like. What does church like life look like? And it's not you on an island doing your own thing. It's deeply engaged in community. It's highly relational. It's just sort of everything is just sort of saturated with community relationships, doing things together. And if we look as well at the example of Jesus, this is Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. You can turn there uh, as we're about to read it. But if we look at the example of Jesus here, we're going to see his, his sort of uh, method of how he does ministry. And sort of how does he do ministry? Of course, it's going to be in a relational way. That's what we're talking about. But let's take a look. Uh, this is as he's calling his first disciples. So Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 22, it says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called to them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Right. what is in a sense Jesus's method here is he's calling his first disciples uh, it's not, hey guys, you know I want to first of all, it is in part evangelism. Like at this point, these disciples, they, they don't fully understand who Christ is. They might get a little bit of, of maybe who he is, but they don't fully understand who he is, the gospel. So Jesus is going to do some evangelism with them and, and proclaim the truth of the gospel. But then there's going to be continued discipleship, just teaching and training them. So then ultimately they're equipped to sort of continue on the work of the ministry after Christ dies and rises again and then ascends to the Father. It's sort of what's his, his method in, in doing this? It's not like, Hey guys, I have this class on Wednesday night. It's, it's like, it's an awesome class. Show up. It's going to be 7 to 9 p.m., two hours. It'll run, you know, like for for 10 weeks. Uh, And then there'll be a follow-up. That's kind of like a beginner's class. Then there'll be a follow-up and it's like next steps. That one's great, too. And then like a little bit going deeper. And, you know, within a year, you'll be done with the class. You'll be ready to like take over for me after I ascend to the Father. It's not some like programized thing where it's like show up for the class. It's impersonal. I'll just impart some facts, some knowledge. You'll learn it. And then boom, you're golden and ready to go. No, his methodology is entirely relational. It's sort of just come, follow me. It's just, it's be with me, live life with me, follow after me, spend time with me, engage in daily life with me. And as you're doing that, again, as we're engaging in life together in community, in in deep relationship, then day in, day out, I will teach you, right? I will share with you the truth of the gospel. I'll impart knowledge and wisdom and disciple you and teach you and train you. And do so as just sort of circumstances arise in daily life, which is always sort of the best teaching rather than sort of like cold, sterile classroom setting. It's like as things happen in life, it then becomes a teaching moment and it's all the more impactful and memorable. Right. And so that's his his method here of, of discipleship, of of doing ministry. It is it is evangelism as well at first with the disciples, but then it becomes sort of discipleship, further discipleship for them. And it's highly highly relational. It has a relational focus. It's not just sort of this impersonal show up, I'll impart knowledge to you, and then you'll be golden. It's as we engage in relationship, as we live life together, then I will do in the context of that relationship as we're doing life, impart knowledge, wisdom, teach, train, disciple, share the gospel with you. That is Jesus's example of doing ministry. Now, you could look at that and say, okay, yeah, you know, you've like pulled that one passage there out of scripture, and it certainly does highlight relational ministry. It's just come, follow me, live life with me, et cetera. But then you could say, yeah, but like, what about all the large masses of people who? who would come to Jesus, you know, they heard about the miracles, like this guy, he's like healing lepers and, and blind people and those who are lame. And so like the masses just come out and, and he ministers to them. And you're like, hey, that, that's like not super personal relational ministry. It's not like he knows personally all these thousands and thousands and thousands of people. That's a little bit more impersonal. And certainly there's some validity to that. But I would say, really, if you look at the core of Jesus's plan it's not really foundationally reaching the masses. In fact, if you look at like the end of his life, after he dies, rises again, ascends to the Father, it's not like he has thousands upon thousands of followers because he's reached the masses. In fact, most have just totally fallen away. They were sort of just there along for the ride because this guy's doing cool miracles. Who doesn't want to see that? But then suddenly they fall away when things turn against Jesus and the religious leaders turn on him and so forth. Uh, but rather, all he has at the end is sort of a few hundred core followers. And while Jesus certainly wasn't going to neglect the masses, right? He had compassion on them as he saw them. They're like sheep without a shepherd. And so he had a heart for them and he taught them and he preached them. But sort of his foundational goal was to reach a core group of people, a smaller core group, and equip them to carry on the work in and, and themselves, reach more and more and more people. That was sort of the core of his ministry, and so I'd say, really, well, yes, he he tended to the masses, and and often that's sort of what we think of because we see in, in much of his ministry in the Gospels him doing that. I'd say sort of the core of his ministry and what his chief goal was was to reach a smaller number of people, but truly reach them, not just they seem like followers, but then they fall away but truly reach them with the gospel, truly teach them and train them up and disciple them so they can continue that work. And and that's, yes, certainly with the 12 in sort of the the most significant way, but even going beyond that, not just the 12, Jesus poured into sort of close followers of his in a highly relational way to teach them and train them and and equip them. And so I'd say the core, well, yes, Jesus did some ministry that was less personal. I'd say sort of his chief goal was more of that, that, that very relational, highly relational Uh, starting with evangelism, but then really discipleship pouring into that core group of followers. And that's the example that he sets for us in regard to doing ministry. It's highly relational. And and so I want to now talk about sort of the why in regard to having a relational focus. So you can look at these passages and say, yeah, I I see that that's the example. We look at the church in Jerusalem in Acts. Yep, we, we see it's clearly highly relational, but sort of like why, why, you know, why is that the case? Why is that God's, you know, the ordained plan and sort of the example that's set for us? Or we look at Jesus and we see the example, again, of sort of like the core of his ministry, uh, reaching that core group of followers and teaching them and training them up and discipling them. We see highly relational, right, a relational focus there. But then sort of what's the why? Like why is that the case? Why have this relational focus? And I'd say there are several answers to to the why. And, And what I want to say first is that God has just made us to be relational creatures. That's just sort of how we are. It's the way we're wired. We're wired for relationship. And if you even want to sort of like take that a little further, it's not just that we're that way. We are that way because that's how our creator is. If you think of God, his own character as the Trinity, he is for all of eternity, in community, in relationship, in a sense, with himself. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all three persons of the Trinity in relationship for all of eternity with one another. And so God is a relational God by his very nature as the Trinity. And he made us in his image, reflecting his character as relational beings, as relational creatures. And so he's made us to be that way. And and, and so that's part of the why of why should we have relationships? Well, God's a relational God. He's made us in his image as relational creatures. We are to engage in relationships and do things in a relational way. I would also say that's God's ordained plan for his church. His plan for his church, his people, is not for us to all be sort of like separate, doing our own individual things. No, his plan for us as the body of Christ is to be in community with one another, in fellowship with one another, again, as a spiritual family, brothers and sisters in Christ, living life together, having deep relationships with one another. That's part of his ordained plan. So so why relationships? Well, because of that as well. That's God's plan for the church. And again, we're relational creatures reflecting the character of our God, who is a relational God. And so that's part of the why of why relationships? Well, just because because that's, what, that's God's own character, it's how he's made us, and that's how his church is to be. But I'd say you can go further than that and say, you know, well, why relationships? Why have this relational focus? And I would say it's because relational ministry is more effective than sort of impersonal ministry without relationships. That's just a, a reality uh, to it. Relational ministry is just plain and simple more effective than impersonal ministry. Let's just take a look at at evangelism, just use that as an example, then we'll take a look at discipleship and sort of see the the reality of this. But if we think of of evangelism, and these polls have been done surveying Christians and, and asking them sort of you know, what was really instrumental in your life in coming to faith in Christ? Sort of, when, you know, you belong to the Lord, you have saving faith in Him, but sort of like, how did God lead you there? What was instrumental in you making that choice finally to, to give your life to the Lord? And almost like 100%, it's like virtually everyone can highlight, at least as one of the points, they might have identified other things, but one of the things they said, this was like hugely important, God used this to lead me to Himself, is another person having a deep relationship with someone else, some believer, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a family member who invested in them, loved them, cared for them, poured into them, shared the gospel with them time and time and time again. And so you see, if you think of evangelism, like relationships are foundational. Virtually every single Christian would say like, God used a, a significant big relationship in my life to lead me to himself. Some other person that I had a close relationship with and they just poured into me. And so we see relationships are, are hugely important in regard to evangelism. But if we look at at discipleship as well, again, it's sort of the same thing. You you have sort of like, what I'd say is largely sort of like the modern American version of of discipleship, which is like, take some classes. I'm not saying it's only that, but but oftentimes it's very programmatic. Like, show up for Sunday services. You'll hear some messages from Scripture. You know, hopefully you do some Bible study on your own, but then we'll offer you this you know, series of courses, a beginner, sort of a next steps, going deeper, that kind of a thing, um, and, and will impart knowledge. Often it's, ve- it's very academic, sort of like we want you to understand the facts, and there is a place for this. So I don't wanna minimize like, oh, classes aren't important. Th- they are important, but sort of as a supplement to relational discipleship, which I'm gonna talk about. But often sort of the American way of doing discipleship is nearly this programmatic way of like, we'll teach you some classes, hopefully you'll learn, And they may learn in the head, but oftentimes it doesn't really sink any deeper. There's not really change affected in the heart. It's like maybe they're acquiring knowledge, but there isn't really significant great spiritual growth. And again, if you just sort of looked at the American church, took a wide survey of it, you'd say, we're really not a very spiritually mature church. And I'd say, that's why sort of we're not doing discipleship the right way. We're just sort of giving some classes like this is just some university, college, imparting some knowledge, thinking that's going to bring real transformation in people's lives, but it just helps them to acquire knowledge that doesn't sink any deeper into their heart, doesn't bring about any change. There's not real spiritual growth. That's sort of the modern American way, as opposed to the highly relational way of doing discipleship, uh, which really can be one of two things. You can kind of have, think of, of Jesus, his example of discipleship. So sort of like a hierarchical version of discipleship where you have the teacher and sort of the student and again, foundational to that version of discipleship is relationship. It's done in the context of just sort of living daily life together. That doesn't mean there can't be set times of where we gather and maybe in a scheduled way, talk about things and so forth, class-like if you want to call it that. But sort of the chief context for really discipleship happening is just living life together, engaging in life. That's what Jesus did with his disciples. As things happen, he'd use it as teaching opportunities, but he wouldn't just sort of impart knowledge, though certainly teaching in that way is far more impactful than just hearing it as part of a class. It sort of comes alive when it's a part of daily life. But then also what you can do is you're living life together deeply engaged in community and relationship with one another. It's not just sort of like do as I say, But you can also model it. Do as I do. If you're living life together, you can see. Think of the disciples. Every day, they got to see Jesus not just teach it to them, but live it out. And again, it just comes alive. When you see it modeled and lived out, and then it's sort of like, oh, I'm going to follow his lead and do as he is doing, right? That's sort of the best kind of teaching, training, discipleship uh, that takes place. So you can have sort of that hierarchical, there's a teacher, there's a student, but you can also have a sort of kind of like mutual peer discipleship where you can be kind of like brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, where maybe you're sort of like, if you want to say equals in the faith or peers, it's not like I'm the teacher, you're the student. Uh, We really have this going on in our discipleship groups that we have at at New Hope Chapel, Uh, our sort of three or four person discipleship groups, small groups, where it's like your peers in the faith and what you're doing for one another is sort of like mutually imparting wisdom and knowledge, encouragement, challenging one another to grow, sort of as peers. It's sort of like you're mutually discipling one another and helping one another to grow spiritually, grow in obedience to the Lord, grow in love for Him. And you can have that kind of discipleship as well. And again, it's thoroughly in the context of community, of relationship. It doesn't work if it's like impersonal. Where is that mutual discipleship happening if you're not engaging in life together? But as you do life together, as life's happening, as you're sharing maybe your highs and your lows and your struggles, you come alongside one another, you provide accountability, encourage one another, challenge one another. Again, in the context of deep relationship with one another, you're mutually discipling one another and helping one another to grow in the faith. And so, again, whether we're talking evangelism, we're talking discipleship, just ministry generally, right, relational ministry is just far more effective than some sort of impersonal relationships aren't a part of it type of ministry. And so that's part of the why for relationships, having a relational focus. It's far more effective, right? Relationships for their own sake, God made us to be relational creatures, reflecting his character. So yes, we want to see relationships for that reason. That's his plan for the church, but also because it does serve as a wonderful means toward, toward effective ministry. Relational ministry is far more fruitful, far more effective than in personal ministry. So, sort of, what what is our takeaway? I want to kind of come to our application and say, you know, what's the okay? So what? I can understand all of this. I can see the example of the church in Jerusalem. I can see Jesus's example that he set for us. But like, so what for me? You know, what, what am I to do? And I just want to challenge us as a church to to really bring a relational focus to, to everything we do, whether that's for us just in relationships with one another, make it a priority. Say, you know, maybe you already have some good relationships with others in the church, but maybe there are other people you don't know so well. And and I think we're doing better than the average American church, but if we were to match ourselves up to that church in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2, I'd say we kind of like fall short of that probably somewhat significantly, and we should challenge ourselves, see that example and say, I want to grow in relationships, right? I want to draw closer to people, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't want to treat them just sort of like friends. Like, no, they're, they're family, they're brothers, they're sisters. I want to treat them that way. I want to be drawn into close relationship with them, in communion with them, fellowship with them deeply. And so challenge yourself, you know, however you're engaging with brothers and sisters in Christ, sort of up that, take that to the next level. Uh, maybe you're not really doing a whole lot of it. Well then say, hey, I need to get plugged into you know, maybe a small group, and that way I'll have some more contact with other Christians and can start to build relationships there, Uh, or maybe get plugged into a discipleship group. Maybe you already are, but you say, you know, you're you're right, you know, I I should be doing more relationally with with my spiritual family. Like, man, they met like every day and had a meal together and and communed with one another. Maybe you say, I want to have a meal with somebody who's a brother or sister in Christ once a week, Maybe you say, I can't do every day, that's just too much, but, but I want to be drawn closer to, to my brothers and sisters in Christ, have more of a relational focus. So once, once each week, I'm going to get together with somebody in the church, maybe we'll have lunch together, we'll have dinner, you know, that sort of thing. Challenge yourselves to grow in relationships with one another. But then also when it comes to sort of the ministry of, of New Hope Chapel, I want to be clear, I'm not, I'm not saying like programs are bad programs can be done as merely programs in an impersonal way with no relationships that's sort of a bad method but relationships also can, but but programs can be an additional help and aid in ministry whether evangelistically discipleship and so forth and also a lot of programs you can have events and programs but in those programs sort of bring a relational element into that program as well and so it's not an impersonal Program, But rather a highly relational program or event. And so even for, for us as, as a church, as we run ministries, as we do events to say, hey, we want to prioritize relationships as we do that. And So thinking through as we're planning out some, some sort of event or course or you name it, how can we get people to engage relationally as a part of that? And so, really, in all that we do, whether it's sort of our own personal lives, or whether it's collectively as the church, I want to see us engaging in relationships. And also, not just within the body of Christ, but even with people out there in the world, thinking of evangelism. Again, we want to leverage relationships. Uh, to share the, the, the gospel with others, right? That, that's the best way to really be a witness for Christ is as we build relationships with people in the community to leverage those relationships and take advantage of opportunities just to be a witness and, and share about Christ with them. And so I want us to prioritize relationships really in every sphere, our personal lives, our sort of collective church life, but also out in the community, out in the world. And just let God work through that and, and uh, just do amazing things through it. Uh, for his church, for his kingdom, for his glory. Amen. And let's pray. Oh, Lord God, we see, as we looked at in in scripture here, the example of your example, Lord Jesus, we see the example of the early church. Uh, Ministry, church life is to be highly relational. That's the example set for us. But If we're honest and we think of sort of much of the American church, and and we're a part of that, even if better than your typical church, um, we've gotten away from the relational side of things, and we've made it more impersonal and just merely programized. Lord, and I pray that you would help us to to get back to the way things ought to be and and have a relational prioritization and and relational focus just to all that, that we do. I pray that we'd see the example of the church in Jerusalem and and say, we want that. We want to be like that kind of church and, and help us just to grow into deeper and deeper relationships with one another. As we plan out church events, may we seek to bring a relational component to it. As we engage with the world around us, may we seek to build relationships through which we might share the gospel. In everything, Lord, may we keep at the forefront of our minds Uh, that relationships are to be prioritized. You're a relational God. You made us in your image. We are relational people, and we are to do things in a relational way. And so may we do that, prioritize relationships, and may you just work through it in wondrous ways for your glory, in Christ's name, amen.